All right, welcome to Review the News, episode 74. Almost at the uh, big 75 there, Todd, right? 74. Um, fantastic. We have a, a very, very special guest tonight, uh, Governor Dave Riley of the great state of Idaho. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm not the Abs- governor, by the way. I just I ran. I lost. <laughs> No, Whatever. no. Well, you, you won in our books. You won in our books. <laughs> well, so uh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. So we're here uh, with Dave, and uh, we uh, we really um, think Dave has a great story about uh, what he did um, for some political activism uh, that maybe perhaps could be tried um, within the the right. Instead of always being on the defensive, perhaps we could start going on the offensive. And, uh, and then we're going to hit a couple news stories, and hopefully Dave will stay with us. And uh, I'd love to hear his opinion. Um, got a great account on Twitter. So if you're not following uh, Dave on Twitter, please follow him. What's your handle, Dave? It's Real Dave Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y. There you go, Real Dave Riley. Um, so please give him a follow. But uh, without uh, without further ado, Dave, do you want to give us a little uh, give us a little background? You could start with the I guess the school board was first and then uh, on to the uh, gubernatorial run. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, I guess um, uh, the story goes back a ways, but uh, we don't have all night. So um, I'll just put it. Uh, I guess we'll start our journey in 2020. Um, I had just moved to North Idaho from uh, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, this was amidst the George Floyd riots and the COVID lockdowns and all of that. I had met my wife about uh, two and a half years prior here in North Idaho, in, in Post Falls, Idaho, actually. And uh, we hit it off. We got married. I brought her with me to Indiana. And the idea the whole time was that, you know, in four or five years, we would actually make our way back to North Idaho uh, permanently when the kids were ready for uh, for school. But with COVID, with the riots in Chicago and, and all across the country, uh, our timetable moved up uh, quite quickly. And uh, so we, we moved up here. We got a nice house and uh, six acres. We're starting a farm. Actually, our flock of chickens is, is around about 50 now. I think we've got 50 chickens and six turkeys. How many, how many roosters? Uh, good question. Um, I think we've got a fair amount, um, but a, we, we don't answer. know. We don't know yet because okay. they're not. They haven't aged up enough to to either lay or not lay yet. So we're still kind of maybe one month out from the first batch of chickens that we got to to age into laying. Okay. So we'll find out more at that point, and then our last batch. And I know that this has nothing to do with politics, or maybe it does. This is the good stuff. Um, this is the good <laughs> this is the good stuff. This is why and, I'm uh, here. So, we just got a, another 10. Uh, they're called Jersey Giants. These things can get like two feet tall. They can weigh like 10 pounds. Really huge chickens that are both good for laying and for meat. Uh, and like so, like yeah, that 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 just uh, came up. So anyway, so, you know, we moved up here and it's the idea that we just kind of want to live like a, a self-sufficient kind of a lifestyle. Uh, we want to be left alone, frankly, um, the way that it was in in South Bend. You know, one morning we woke up and um, there was there was a BLM uh, protest about 600 strong outside of our apartment in South Bend. Um, there was actually a, a, a black guy that got killed by a cop 
uh, outside of our apartment complex. And now, so let me now, let me stop you there, Dave. Sorry, don't mean to interrupt. Is that that's hard. now I mean, that's hard. now South South Bend? That's that's Pete Buttigieg country, isn't it? Oh yeah, <laughs> me and me and Irv, his bodyguard, uh, really hit it off. I used to buy him coffees on the way to work every morning. Real, it's really, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I've got, I've got, if you go on my uh, Instagram, same handle, real Dave Riley, I've got maybe like two or three years ago, a couple of selfies with Pete. So now di- didn't, um, Gary hates good to judge. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't hate him, but I mean, the guy's a loser. Let's be honest. Well, I, I, I mean, my, Gary, my... Gary loves to, Gary loves to talk against them. Well, I think, well, my take is and not to, spend too long on this, but I think Pete Buttigieg was grown in a lab in McKinsey and (laughs) his whole, his, yeah. I mean, that's his, his whole, he was like a laboratory creation because when you look at like his father's work with uh, like all the Antonio Gramsci stuff, and then you Mm -hmm. look how he like, basically like uh, Pete Buttigieg had positioned himself his entire life. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's like, he, he, he's kind of like that that fake soldier kind of like, yeah, he was in the military. He really didn't do anything, but you know, mm. they'll put pictures of him in his uniform. And, and I can get, I can say this cause I'm a vet and I, I went overseas. So I, I have no problem saying this. I mean, I know some people who haven't served may not be willing to go there, but I, I will absolutely will. Okay, so go there, go there. Guys. And then I, I just think, you know, basically from what I understood it, to your point, Dave, about the BLM and the and the the black guy getting killed with the cops in South Bend, like he did nothing for like the black community the whole time. But that was like kind of one of his motifs when he was running for president. Right. Was that he was like yeah. this big bridge, like, you know, he bridged the communities on stuff. In reality, he didn't really do anything for South Bend. Um, yeah. But not, and, not to I, go I, ahead. When I was living there, I was actually friends with a guy named uh, Pastor Mario Sims. You could probably look him up. And uh, he absolutely hated Pete Buttigieg, and so did most of the black community uh, in South Bend. They hated him. They didn't like him at all. They had nothing in common with him, especially because of the whole sodomite values thing going on. Um, You know, the black community in South Bend is uh, very conservative, I guess, sexually speaking anyway. Um, So they they were not big fans of of Mayor Pete, and and Pete didn't do anything for them. Um, So, yeah, uh, not only that, but... He screwed up the entire city uh, with uh, the the whole garbage truck fiasco. He ordered the garbage trucks too wide so they couldn't go down the alleys anymore and pick up the, the trash. So you have all these useless alleys and, you know, it gummed up all of the works. And then uh, also the, the, the just, man, if you ever drive through there, you'll see all the potholes. Uh, you know, the roads are for crap, but you have all of these big, beautiful roundabouts with really crappy art everywhere and it cost millions and millions of dollars he also bulldozed a bunch of homes in the black community which uh, led to a rise in homelessness in the city so yeah nobody liked pete nobody liked pete neither did i actually but um so yeah so you know we moved out from south bend because of the the i mean i don't know how to put it it's just the the racial tensions that had began because of the george floyd riots it was like really no longer safe for my wife to like walk around the city, you know, it was, it was getting like, honest to God, scary. Um, just with, with the, the, the tension in the community. And so we moved up here to, uh, to Idaho and I thought it would be kind of a relaxed vibe. 
and it's not. It is the uh, the the, the bleeding edge. There. It's got to be beautiful. It's, no, it, it is beautiful. It is beautiful, but it's also the bleeding edge of the culture war. Um, and I, we kind of knew that going into it, but uh, so yes, yeah, so, you know, we we got up here. I got involved in the community, started attending the local GOP monthly meetings. And uh, started attending all of the different, you know, political groups in the area. There's all these like, you know, um, coffee clubs where where people come together to talk about local politics. And so I got involved with all that. And and by the end of uh, was it 2021, uh, it's all a blur now, <laughs> really. Or maybe the summer of 2021, we knew that there was an election coming up. The critical race theory stuff and the the the, the gender studies stuff had all just kicked off. And you remember what the the, the, the feeling was like in America this uh, past year about things like CRT and social emotional learning, um, diversity, equity, inclusion frameworks being adopted by school, school uh, boards all across the nation. Um, and so, you know, I had my eye on it and I saw that there was a school board seat up for where I lived. And as of the date that I had filed to run, uh, nobody else had filed. And I was just shocked that no one was going to step up to, to try and, and make sure that the schools in our community were not teaching people to hate themselves based on the color of their skin or worse, to hate their neighbor based on the color of their skin. Um, and so I ran and it instantly became international news. Uh, <laughs> it instantly became international news um, because of uh, my past. Uh, I worked as a radio DJ in Pennsylvania. I covered the Charlottesville uh, happenings, kind of what you want to call it these days, or a riot, a hoax, uh, a setup, a false flag. I filmed that. Um, I made some videos uh, that I sold to Discovery Channel and C uh, PBS. And um, for my work, I got labeled a Nazi white supremacist. I lost my job in radio. And uh, so that baggage, you know, is used by my political opponents, by the the left, by the Democrats all the time. And so they really blew it up uh, pretty big up here. And, um, you know, I want to say with all of the negative attention that I got, which is about 50 to 75 articles in like national level to international level media, uh, it didn't do anything. It didn't put a dent in my campaign. I only lost by about 124 votes. Um, so we that's that's you know really like what 65 70 people that if they had changed their minds i would have won um so i did surprisingly well <laughs> the more that the media uh hit at me and uh you know tried calling me names the less and less that the people that live here believed it and so i was very lucky because of that and um it actually helped uh, me get to know a lot of the people in the community and so um that kind of led up to, uh, was it November of 21? And um, sitting back and we were looking at the, the situation, there's a primary going on here in Idaho. Um, hey, Dave, and, Dave. Yes. Can I, can I pause you right there before you go into the next, next sure. thing? I just want to make a point. I think um, you know, what you did is very instrumental in the sense, and, and people need to learn about this, where it's not necessarily always about winning in the immediacy, right? What, what, what someone like yourself did, right, is you sucked a lot of resource, even if it was time and effort, right? Maybe, maybe they didn't spend $10 million, right, so that Dave Riley didn't win the, the school board seat, Right. But the, the simple fact to your point, right, or where they're spending all this time writing articles, 
They're spending yeah. all this time tracking you, right? What, 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 what people don't understand, especially I, I think on our side a lot, especially number one, uh, I immediately think of George Soros, right? Because George Soros realized funding congressmen and funding senators was getting him nowhere. So he went, he, he localized more. That's why he's concentrated on the DAs. And when you look at, when you look at local politics, someone like yourself, it, it can't be stated enough how important, even though you didn't win, how important it is. That's why it like breaks, it breaks my heart when I yeah. see, when I see, um, like congressional seats, even if it's dark blue, go uncontested, right? Because yeah. you want, you Big want time. them to spend money. You want them, even if it's 10 grand, even if it's five grand, right? You want yeah. them. That, that's why I hate it. And not to, not to segue that's into how, another that's thing. That's how you get them. What? Get yeah. what? No. You get them to spend money the other way. Right. Right. I, I mean, and that's why whether you yeah. liked her or not, like the one the one thing I really disliked is when people and I don't know, you, you probably know who I'm going to I'm going to say here, Dave, but uh, Kim Klasik, who ran for Congress in Baltimore against uh, what was it like the real famous uh, black guy? I don't know. He like marched with Martin Luther King Jr. or something like that. Um, I can't remember. But uh, she ran for Congress as a Republican and they had a he actually had to go out and campaign. Right. He had to like leave D.C. to go back into Baltimore to help host a couple events. And she wound up losing by like a ton was of it votes. Elijah Cummings? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was Elijah Cummings. Yeah. But he actually had to like go to an event and people were like, yeah, he hadn't been to an event in, like 10 years. He had to do an event. And right. Right. And, right. and and so and so. Like that, this stuff is important because if we can get them to spend resources, time, money, effort, right, we can we can kind of erode those resources and then make our way into those seats and flipping those seats and getting winning elections and things like that. But and then you now you have the like you said, you know, more of the local community. It's been a it's been a boon for you. Right. You you are more yeah. tied into the community. The people know the real Dave. They know not to listen to the nonsense about, you know, everything that happened in Charlottesville and all that other yeah. other stuff. Well, And I mean, it's also a matter of just being honest and being upfront about who I am and where I'm from. Um, before I ever even ran for school board, I did a whole speaking tour all around Kootenai County, which is where I live in North Idaho. Uh, and I went to several churches and local political groups, the Reagan Republicans, the Panhandle Pachyderm Club. And I was able to give um, a speech about cancel culture and how it works um, because I've lived through it. I lived through it in 2017 before anybody even knew what cancel culture was. And so after I lived through it personally, I saw all of these other people that had to go through the same situation. And it's formulaic. It's repeatable. They do it all the time. And so to be able to help decode that for people and help them understand what the mechanisms are for it, um, you know, that that was really helpful. And and again, the fact that, you know, I was honest about who I am, where I come from, the experiences that I've had when the media came out to try and, you know, lambast me for, you know, being at Charlottesville, they already knew the truth. They had already seen all of the footage. Uh, they had already seen, you know, the pictures of me that are there. It's not one media outlet has ever published because they want you to think that I was carrying around a tiki torch um, shouting anti-Semitic slurs. And I wasn't. I was there filming. And I've got footage of me filming. And I'm, I'm obviously not a part of the group carrying the tiki torches. You know, 
and there were there were many fine people there. <laughs> okay, but um, you know, I wasn't one of these 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 you know people going around doing like so. It, it's just been totally neutered, and and that I think the media still doesn't understand that um, that you can't touch me. <laughs> it's it's over. You know what I mean? You've got nothing that they have over me. They don't know my employer. They don't know where I make my money. I don't uh, rent my home. I can't get evicted. Um, so it's 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 a process of becoming uncancelable, really. Um, and I think everybody should definitely endeavor to do that. And so, yeah, you're right. It did. It, it, it what what it was really fascinating is the ability to go and to get to talk with normal people. You know, just people that have just woken up because of be it COVID or CRT or or whatever. Um, it was really nice and refreshing to be able to hear it right from their own lips where they are, where, what their understanding of the situation is. Um, it's very powerful uh, when you understand where your community is is at. And so, you know, moving forward, there's, you know, everybody knows about primary elections and then the general elections. And for some stupid reason, conservatives are all of the opinion that it's once every four years, you got to get out and vote for president. And then every other election, you can just completely ignore. It's on autopilot. You're fine. And that is a lie. It's a yeah. lie that people need to wake up to. And, you know, where we live in North Idaho, the situation is different than, let's say, Baltimore or Atlanta or, you know, St. Louis, right? These are <laughs> good luck, but it's, it's not going to happen. Right. But in a in a small rural community where there is still like some sort of social cohesion, um, th this is where it becomes highly effective. And so normally what Republicans do is they wait until the general election and they look at the ballot and they see, oh, it has an R next to its name. That's who I'm voting for. Well, what you could do is get involved before the primaries and have a hand in shaping what that whole thing even looks like. You know, there are usually several people that are running for office in your primaries and not all of them are good. Most of them are rhinos and they don't like it when they're challenged. And so in North Idaho, there were several races. I don't know how, how, how in depth I can go. I, I really don't want anybody to get uh, attacked because of this. So I, I'm not gonna mention any names, but I'm thinking of one candidate in particular um, or let's say one seat in particular, where the person who was in it had been in it for like over a decade, right? I mean, we're talking old money, deep roots, uh, but a rhino. The guy was a weak, weak Republican. He did nothing about the masks. He did nothing about the vaccines and everybody knew it. And so he was challenged by another guy who was a political newcomer, let's say, um, he had run for office before and he, he lost. But the point is, when you look at the election and the breakout afterwards, the, the rhino outspent the, the, let's say, for lack of a better word, the patriot guy who was running. The rhino outspent him 10 to 1. So for every $1 that the challenger spent, the incumbent spent 10 bucks. I mean – wild disparity in money um the the the, the challenger spent ten thousand dollars the incumbent spent fifty thousand dollars and lost which wow. is really incredible yeah that's that's what's so we had um we had joe kent on uh um, ah. yeah uh many what do you think uh, of I him? Wanna, 
you know, I, I like when I interviewed him, I, I, I liked him. There's some things, of course, I mean, not every candidate is going to be 100 percent perfect. But when you so if you look at Joe Kent uh, by himself, right, I, you know, you could find some kinks in the armor. You know, you could be like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever previous, been? To, but have you ever been? Joe Kent is CIA.com. No, I haven't. Yeah, you should, because he's a CIA agent. I, you know, and I, I've, I've heard that before. <laughs> but when you when you look at Herrera, when you look at Herrera Butler, like you. So, yeah. So, OK, so there's problems with Joe in the sense of, yeah, I mean, he, he was a special forces operator. And again, yeah. those guys. Look, I mean, even my experience, I was never so number one, I was never in special operations in any sense. I was just a regular old grundoon in 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 the army. However, I do know from the limited experiences that I have that those special forces operators and the CIA and they there's like special state department agents and all all the all the rest of, of the um, of what is termed colloquially on the internet is the glowies they absolutely do work together absolutely and those and those fears now maybe joe woke up from and i we haven't talked to him probably six months seven months but maybe joe woke up from you know that that slumber and realized i you know i think maybe after his wife passed away and he was able to speak with trump you know, may, maybe I'm, I, and again, I don't know what's going on in, inside of Joe, but maybe he's like, maybe introspectively, he's looking back at the time that he, he did all of his stuff and maybe he's not necessarily still linked with, with all that, or and maybe that, he's trying. To, and, you know, go I've got to be honest, I've never talked with him. I've never met him. I don't think he'd ever meet with me willingly, <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for that. There is a lot of people that are waking up. There's a lot of people that were involved. There's a lot of people that I've met even that are that were, you know, uh, in the army or something like that. And I kind of look at them skeptically and I'm just like, geez, I, I, I don't really know what's going on here. But when you, you got to be able to talk to them and, and, and be open and honest. And, and that's, you know, because I, I expect the same for me. Right. If you read read the stuff in the media about me and I look like, you know, the boogeyman on steroids, but that's not true. You know, and you wouldn't know that unless you sat down and talked to me. And so, you know, there, there's a lot about Joe Kent that's good. There's also a lot about Joe Kent that I've got a lot of questions. You know, well, I've look, got a lot of questions about him. He he absolutely did secret squirrel stuff. So if he's if he's tied in with those people or knows those people, right? I I I, I agree. I think, and and maybe we're maybe we're in alignment in this way. I would definitely quite like, it's like, well, Joe, if you know CIA agent Bob was doing bad stuff, but he was like your bro on a couple deployments, are you going to turn around and drop the hammer on him? Or are you going to try, are you going to like pass the buck? Like, like a rhino, I think that's a fair question. Right. But, but again, when I look at Joe Kent running for Congress right now, and if he does 50% of what he says he's going to do, he's still a thousand times better than the current incumbent who's only there because she's a major, she's part of the, and I know Washington state a little bit better. She's part of the Washington state establishment Republican party who is about, it's all about fundraising. It doesn't even matter. She's in a safe seat. Kathy McMorris Rogers is in a safe. So she's, so Jamie Herrera Butler or Butler, or however you say it, 
she is, and I don't, again, I, I don't mean to digress on this, go on this wild okay. tangent here, but, but she is basically Kathy McMorris Rogers sidekick in terms of fundraising. Like Butler is one of the biggest fundraisers and fundraisers in Washington state, right? She's a young, she's youngish. She's not terrible to look at yeah, as a woman, right? I don't know if that puts anything into it, right? But if she shows up and she's looking for money, she, you're more receptive, right? I mean, let, let's be real. And then, and then, you know, between her, Dan Newhouse, and McMorris Rogers, who I think is like number two in the party. She's either number two or three nationally, right? She's be, she's behind Kevin McCarthy. I want to say it's like her was her Steve Scalise and um, Kevin McCarthy make up the leadership, unless she's lost the spot or something and they brought somebody else in. But she was up there for a while. Um, so him knocking off. Uh, Herrera Butler is would be a huge win, and again, then then you can take him and look under the microscope because then he'll he'll have a voting record after two yeah. years, right? And then we'll know who he really is, right? And then in yeah, two I mean, years, go ahead. I was just gonna say with Joe Kent, I, I mean, I don't really see much to lose here. You know what I mean? Like I've literally never heard of anything good about the incumbent, so it's a it's a no lose situation kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, I, I hear you. I hear you. But one of the so I mean just to I guess wrap up with you know my my political shenanigans uh, sure. thus far, um, you know you were talking about taking it on the offensive and that's what I did um, and it's a really interesting thing and I think it could be mimicked across the country. Um, it's the kind of maneuver that you really only get one shot locally to do it. Um, it's only really going to work once, um, but you know there's a lot more people out there. Uh, it's not just me and it's a big country. So um, I'm sure that this can be replicated elsewhere. Basically the deal was that the media likes to pretend that I'm like the second coming of Hitler or something. And I was able to use that to my advantage by announcing that I was going to take over the Democrat party, uh, install myself as chairman of the party, appropriate all of their funds and donate it to uh, half, half of it I was gonna donate to the Women Republican Federated, and the other half of it I was going to donate to all the Catholic churches in Kootenai County as <laughs> reparation for the sin of abortion. And that scared the local Democrat Party absolutely shitless. They didn't know what to do. They were just, they were, they were freaking out. And then in Sandpoint, Idaho, we had a mayor, Shelby Rongstadt, who ran for office and won twice as a Republican and then announced that he was going to be running for governor as a Democrat. And something fortuitous happened. He forgot that he was a registered Republican at the time that he filled out his forms to run for governor. And because of that, he was forced to run as a write-in candidate. And I found out about this before the write-in deadline had passed. And so I threw my hat in the ring as a write-in. And so now you had two recently converted Republicans within the month. Like we were both registered Republicans. We switched to Democrat and then we're both running for governor. And then it's a big game of who's the real Democrat, right? <laughs> you see what I mean? It just caught yeah. him completely off guard. The guy raised $222,000 and barely scraped out 6,000 votes from the whole state. I mean, it, it was an absolute disaster for Shelby. Uh, the guy that ran on the ballot, Stephen Height, 
got something like 50,000 votes and he only raised $800. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so, just an absolute. So let me ask but, you then when you, when you did that, how, how did you, um, so when you, when you said, okay, Hey, I'm going to switch parties. I'm going to run as a Democrat. How did the, how come the democratic apparatus wasn't quick to kind of usually in, in, in my experience or those who've had those who have maybe even thought of doing something or have even switched from Democrat to Republican, right? Cause I see the light and stuff and now they're going to run as a Republican. Mm-hmm. How, like, how did the, like, cause, okay. So I'll give you a good, I'll give you a good, um, yeah, give, I'll give, give you a good, good one. Give us a good I'll one. give you a good example. I will. All right, good. Um, so the Tennessee <laughs> executive GOP executive committee recently removed Robbie Starbuck from the ballot as a Republican because he didn't hit the threshold where he voted in three. He had, you had a vote. You had a vote in three different primaries as a, as a, as a citizen of Tennessee. So you had a vote in three previous elections, primaries as a Republican to qualify to run as a Republican in, in the Tennessee GOP and, or, or you had to, or like, for instance, say you were a Republican all your life in New York, but you finally got fed up and you, and you moved and you moved to, uh, and you moved to Tennessee, right. But you weren't there for three primaries and you wanted to run for office you could basically take your credentials. You could say, look, I voted Republican for 30 years in the state of New York. I'm yes. I missed the three primaries. Can I have a waiver? And the executive Mm -hmm. committee, the executive committee could grant you a waiver to run as, as a GOP. Why I'm explaining all this is my question to you is, is like, how did the Democrats not kick their apparatus into like overdrive to have you even removed from the ballot as, or even put the democratic label on your name when you were in the, in the balloting. Exactly. And so this is, this is one big, big things that I uncovered about Idaho. And it's, it's not only true about Idaho, it's true about all Republican stronghold States. Um, it's also versely true in places like South Bend, Indiana, which is one of the places where I got the idea. Like in in a place where it's one party rule, you have to be a member of that party to have any kind of say in who's governing you. So like, for example, people might not know this, um, and maybe you guys don't even know who I'm about to talk about, but uh, there's a Catholic historian named E. Michael Jones. Do you guys know who he is? Yeah, I know E. Michael Jones. He's a registered Democrat and has been for 30 years. Why? Because in South Bend, Indiana... The only people that get elected are Democrats because of the way that their party is structured, because of the fact that it's the Democrat stronghold. So if you want any kind of say in your local governance, meaning if you want to have any kind of say in who's elected, you need to be able to participate in those primaries. And the only way you can do that is by being a registered Democrat. And so in a similar way here in North Idaho, if you live here and you're a liberal, but you want to have some say in who's governing you, then you have to register as a Republican to be able to vote in the Republican primary. And so what winds up so happening d- is, 
Democrats you... switch parties, they become Republican, and then wow. they vote for the weakest, most liberal candidates that they possibly can, and then they unaffiliate and reaffiliate back to the Democrat primary or back to the Democrat party uh, for for the general election. That's what happens. So there's this big switch that happens every couple of years where everybody, all of the most insane, crazy, radical left-wing liberals all affiliate Republican so that they can participate in the Republican primaries, and then they can just switch right back to Democrat, no consequences. We actually had somebody here locally run for state representative named Sherry Zhao. Sherry Zhao, up until a month before she decided to run as a Republican for the House of Representatives, was actually the treasurer for the Kootenai County Democrat Party, right? And then she switched parties, became a Republican, and ran. And much in a similar way, all of the, the local constituents, they all affiliate Republican because in Idaho, we have closed primaries, meaning that at least for the Republican Party, you have to be a registered Republican in order to vote in the Republican primary. However, for the Democrats, they have an open primary. So if you are an independent, unaffiliated voter, if you are a Constitution Party or Libertarian Party, you can request on the day of any ballot you want except the Republican ballot. You see what I'm saying? And yep. so, um, the, however, on the other side of the coin, only a affiliated Republican can request a Republican ballot on the day of. You see what I mean? It's a way to try and close themselves off because of the party switching phenomenon that happens. And so the point is that nobody was talking about it. Nobody was talking about it. And after I affiliated as a Democrat, predictably, the media said, this is a threat to our democracy. This guy's lying about who he is. He's not a real Democrat. Look, he switched parties. This is reprehensible and dangerous to our democracy. And it's like, thank you. For falling into my trap because now every democrat that has affiliated republican is a threat to our democracy this is dangerous you see what i'm saying yeah. and so we were able to just completely flip the script on them and so this tactic was able to work because of the fact that i was able to blow myself up in the media as a boogeyman and they played along uh willingly unknowing as to what they were doing and so it was a very successful tactic. As a matter of fact, we got two people in office, brand new people uh, that had never been elected to office before that won by margins of under 200 votes. And it was specifically because of the fact that they were uh, affected by this. Uh, the local Democrats had to take evasive defensive maneuvers and go back to their party to uh, prevent hostile takeover. And what we did was we, we actually leaked this whole plan to the press one day, one day before the, the period to switch party affiliation was over. So the, the story was leaked on Wednesday. It got published in the press on Thursday and Friday was the last day that you could affiliate Democrat or Republican pri prior to the primary. And so it worked like a charm. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely astounded. And because of this, there were other races that happened where there was a split, uh, for example, between Peter Riggs and Carl Bjorke up here. It was, a, it was basically a 70-30 split for the, the new guy, Carl. Um, and Peter Riggs, the incumbent, just got absolutely demolished, demolished in the race. And it was because of 
these things. It was because of the revelation that Democrats switched to Republican uh, that this was able to happen. And it's almost so, like although, shaking off fleas. Yeah, exactly. And so although I didn't win, um, I indirectly won because we got more good legislators elected in our county than ever before. Um, it was a clean sweep. Every single race, every race for se state Senate, for state house um, in our county is filled by really, really solid, community-oriented, Republican, staunch conservatives that are going to uphold uh, well, the traditional then. Christian go. values let's of Idaho. Yeah, go. right. Let's go. It's really, really good. And so it, it, it's a useful tactic uh, to go on the offense, to scare the crap out of the Democrats, and it forces them to spend resources on their own races instead of spending resources on the Republican races, which is what you were saying a little bit earlier. Um, this idea of just bleeding them for money. I mean, absolutely. And, and what astounded me so much uh, is how easy it is to file to run for office. It's so easy. It's literally like a couple of forms, maybe a hundred or two dollars. Uh, you know, if you if you're depending on what kind of a race you're running for, right? I mean, local races, there's like a filing fee of forty dollars for you know the the statewide race. I think it was a three hundred dollar filing fee. But I mean, it's really cheap. It's really cheap and easy to do. And I think more people should do it. I mean, even just to keep people on their toes. Um, it's a fantastic legal, nonviolent politically active kind of way to to fight back and to, to to mix things up and to keep everybody on their toes and it forces the people that that are that live in the area to to get really informed uh because of the confusion that it causes and i think it's so, a good thing let me ask you a question um not that you have to you know produce it right at this moment but do you have were you able or you or your team or whoever you were working with are were you guys able to collect any of that data about the big massive switches from in the state of like, Idaho. It was, it was in the past uh, two years, 16,000 Democrats that affiliated Republican. And we have a list of everyone that did it in our County. It was 15,000 just in the County or in the state, 16,000 in the state, but that's enough to swing the elections. Wow. And then that's enough um, to swing every election. Yeah. That, that's, that's pretty, that is, that is pretty amazing. Now, the second especially question because is of the fact that just one moment, especially sure. because of the fact that if you, if you think about it, 16,000, okay, that doesn't really sound like a lot. Idaho has like what 1.8 million people that live here, but voter turnout traditionally for primaries has been about 8%. So right. 16,000 politically active Democrats that are going to turn out for the primary because that is their political, um, that, that is, that is their motive to affect the 16, primary. 16,000 of anything is a lot. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of people that are all people kind of are, doing, you know, clearly they're, they're all on the same page about something. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, Republicans can learn a lot from this. They really can. Well, and, and to your point, Neil, right. The stress that right, would right, right. tell me how I'm wrong, Gary. No, 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 no. Actually, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying to your point, when you get 16,000 people aren't <clears throat> people here election. Right. And I think Dave also mentioned this before. People think it's a general where you, a general, maybe out of 1.8, you have what 500,000 people show up for a general and a, on a primary, right? That's 16,000 in unison, like you mentioned, Neil. And then the, just the amount of people that vote in a primary already, right? Because most people, when you say, oh, 16,000 can swing an election, people are like, how? 
but it's not a general we're talking about. We're talking about a primary where primary right. part primary participation Gary, is, Gary, is Gary, always low. Are we starting a campaign? Are we, starting, are we starting a grassroots campaign? Is that what is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm hearing as you talk. Well, uh, yeah, we're gonna run. To- we're gonna run Todd. <laughs> so, I accept. Um, I accept. Uh, and we'll run. Yes. Um, but but uh, my, can I ahead. can I jump in here? I will say yeah. that uh, to be honest with you, uh, where I live. If you run as a Republican, there is no way you're going to win any office. Uh, you know, it's 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 just the way it is. Yeah. I do have uh, um, someone that uh, uh, someone that ran against uh, the congressperson here, Jayapal, won about twenty percent, and he's run two or three times, but he keeps running. And he gets twenty uh, percent almost every time, but I do I do think it's important that somebody runs, even though they're probably not going to win because having an uncontested rate, especially you a federal rage, race, you got to rage against the machine. That's 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 not that shouldn't happen. Well, so, right. where, 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 where you live, where no, you sorry, live, Todd. No, I just make this quick point, Todd. Where you live, pretty soon they're not even going to vote for democrats they'll just want straight they'll just want straight communists pretty soon the democrats pretty soon the democrats will be too right wing where todd lives well somebody's told me that the that liberals are on the right here and then the uh uh, progressives are on the left so you have to be a liberal to be on the right (laughs) well and i was gonna i was gonna say like you know there's there's the exciting part of politics. There's the exciting like Donald Trump style of politics. And then there's the minutia of politics. There's the really detail oriented credentials, getting your, you know what I mean? Like making sure that Robert's rules of order are followed, that your secretary is actually, you know, keeping note of who's making the motion, who's making the second. How many in, in favor and how many against? And all of these tiny little minute details that go into party politics, it's so boring. I mean, it is so mind-numbingly boring, but it's it's crucial. It's critical. It's absolutely critical because it's with uh, this kind of like weaponization of rules or like the weaponization of credential committees that you can actually make a lot of really interesting headway. And... The, the way that the party system works here in, in the states for both Republican and Democrat is that each county has their their central committee, the, the Democrat or Republican central committees. Every county in America has one. So wherever you're living, you can get online, Google the, the central committee for the Republicans or the Democrats. You should be able to find out how many precincts there are, whether or not each precinct is actually represented. And there's like... It's just, it's so obvious, but I'm just trying to think of, um, you know, shout out any county, right? Shout out any county. Maybe there are 50, 50 precincts in that county. And of those 50 precincts, not all of them are going to be filled. And if you happen to live in one of those vacant precincts, you can very easily run unopposed and get on your central committee. And by doing so... 
you don't even run. You just sign. You just do it like you were saying before. You don't even. I've done that before. You don't even run. They just hand you a pay. They're like, thank God someone's here. That'll do it. Here, here's the paper. Sign your name on it. Generally speaking, yes, they will look at you and be like, oh my God, you want to help? Please come here. You know. And so, on the one hand, if you are uh, a traditional conservative is very upset with the direction of the country. An easy thing you can do to get involved is getting involved in your local central committee. But maybe your central committee is full. Maybe it's even full of rhinos. Maybe it's full of a bunch of absolute scum suckers. And there's no way that you're going to be able to edge your way in. For example, Brooklyn, New York, right? No way you're going to get in, okay? Every, every seat in that, in that is filled, and it's filled with terrible people. You're not going to make it in. Now, obviously... The Democrat side is the same, but not so in like some obscure county in Missouri, right? In in some weird county in Missouri, you could probably very easily not only get elected to your central committee, you could probably take over the entire central committee or the entire Democrat central committee. You could actually do something like this and people will not see it coming. Maybe you only need 14 other people to do it with you. Right, you file the paperwork. You find out when the elections are held. You just get your name on the ballot, and when people go to vote in their primary, they're going to see, oh, hey, look, here's the central committee, uh, you know, precinct captain position, and there's only one name on it. I'm checking that box, and then you get elected with ten votes, and then all of a sudden, if you have a supermajority, you can actually appoint your own chairperson, appropriate all of their funds, and then essentially turn the Democrat Party into something more conservative than the Republican Party, right? You can do that. That is like so easy to do. It's not even funny. And like no one is doing it. I know I know that there's the black pill out there. There's the all hope is lost kind of a thing. But has anyone ever even thought about doing this? Has anyone tried it? You know, why not? Why not give it a go? Why not use all of these legal political means that you have available to try and affect change in your in your local area because that's that's the big thing there's nothing that any one person can do i mean besides maybe like the donald trump or a desantis type figure there's not much that like an anon on twitter is going to be able to do as far as the nation goes but when it comes to your local area when it comes to your your hometown or your community you can do a lot and, and this is one of those ways, finding out about uh, these levers of power, how, how that works, how do you get into these central committees. Um, that is so, so critical. Um, and you can really do a lot of good. Yeah, you talk about the, um, uh, the minutia and stuff like that. And I think uh, it's funny, what popped into my mind is, is uh, Steve Bannon, who, who did a lot of that. Inner, I would call like inner machinery working for Trump for a little bit. And, you know, for a while, I forget the gentleman's name, but Steve Bannon had, would have this guy on the War Room podcast all the time. I know you said he stopped listening. And I don't know which every, you know, it's, people are pretty opinionated on, on Steve Bannon. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, but, but, you know, Steve, it, it's interesting you're saying this because Steve Bannon would have this gentleman on. I think he's based out of Arizona. And he basically would send people a packet. It was like free. He'd send you a PDF packet 
And it was to do exactly what you said. He goes, he, he looked up, he had it like for all the states and everything or whatever. And it was basically like how you become a, uh, a precinct captain or a chairperson in the, in the county. And Bannon used to give this guy like 15 minutes at the end of every, all of his podcast episodes. Um, and the guy would go through his spiel and it was exactly like you said, which is get involved, local, get involved, local, get involved, local. Yeah. And you, you build, and what people don't understand is that like, again, uh, Todd had mentioned uh, AOC earlier in the conversation. I don't know if it was before we started recording or, or during, but when you look at what she did to unseat, first off, that guy she unseated had been there forever. And I think she, she showed up with like 1500 people, which isn't out of the question, especially when you're in New York city. Right. And mm -hmm. that's how she went in and she primaried the guy. And then, and then to your point, Dave, right. I mean, once you win the primary, right. In ball and we go back to Baltimore In Baltimore, once you win the democratic primary, it doesn't matter in the general you've won it's over. You right? won. That's right. That's you right. Won. And, and that was AOC's congressional seat, right? Because once she won the primary, it was, that's it. It doesn't matter who's there. You could run a corpse because they're going to vote. That's they're going to vote democratic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to vote for whoever has the D or the R next to your name. And my point is instead of waiting until you're presented with like these awful choices, Dan Crenshaw, my God. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. And so I don't know what's going on in Texas, to be quite honest with you. I, have no, I but, mean, that place is like imploding. Well, here's the gang. thing, right? So here, here's the thing. We are living through, at least here in North Idaho, the largest ideologically driven mass migration of American history right now. It's happening. And when you when you meet people, anybody like I want to say, if you threw a rock in a crowd, you've got a 70% probability of hitting someone that's from California. And you go up to them, you talk to them, you say, why did you move here? And they said, because the gun laws in California sucked. And it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then you throw another rock and you get another California. You say, why'd you move here? And they say, well, because I want to live in a place that has Christian values. Oh, wow. So it's not about economics. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about the community. It's about the values. It's about the ideology of the area that you're living in. And North Idaho has almost exclusively benefited from, from extremely conservative Californians that have moved up here to find a, a conservative place where they can raise a family, where they can raise their kids, where they don't have to worry about being assaulted or mugged or forced to like wax a tranny's ball sack or something like that in their business. Right. And so um, <laughs> I remember, I remember that. Right. Right. And so the point is now in Texas, in Texas, however, um, that's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> I didn't, la I didn't laugh at all. I'm laughing. <laughs> and so in Texas, you've got people that are moving there from California. However, I would contend that the people moving to Texas are not nearly as ideologically driven as the people that are moving to North Idaho. One of the reasons is the weather. The weather up here is extremely cold. It's very depressing. We, we only get about eight hours of sunlight in the wintertime, and Californians generally can't handle that. But Texas, the, the, the change of atmosphere, um, or, or at least the... Uh, Oh, what's the word for it? The weather. It's the same. It's essentially the same. It's generally warm. It's generally pleasant. You know, so if you're moving from California, you're, you're going to be okay. I would Whereas I, I, moving to a place like Idaho, where you need snow tires, a snow plow, 
and you're going to be like digging yourself out in the middle Idaho of winter. Fucking, it, it, it takes a level of beautiful. Oh, it is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, oh, I, I, I think every conservative person listening to this podcast should totally come up here and visit. If you're a liberal, well, that's, not, that's podcast, what I meant, but you're too shabby. Yeah, but that's not what I meant. It, 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 it's, just, it's beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. No, yeah, I have a couple. So I, I have a couple points about the uh, the 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 migration situation, and I think I was just talking about the landscape. I I understand that, but I'm talk. I want to talk. I want to uh, get into uh, look. Washington State was one of the most beautiful. Is one of the most beautiful places on earth. I would put it up against anywhere. Sure. And it, the, the problem with wa- the problem with Washington is it's full of Washingtonians. So, I mean, that, I mean, like that, that's, that, like Todd. well, Todd is the last of a dying breed, but even, 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 even Todd, you know, you got to go Todd, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I wanted to speak on that because Dave, I think, I think we have to untangle the California migration thing, because what you're seeing is, is this is that in your neck of the woods because it sounds to me like you're in a more of a rural suburban area right you're going to attract the californians that are from um you know maybe maybe la maybe san diego but mostly i want to say californians who are who are moving because they are being driven economically from like the the i-5 corridor which is more in the eastern side of the california state which nobody ever talks about but if you want to if you really well, want a rude awakening of, if I may, the point is that it's not economic. That's what I'm saying. It's not economic. These people you don't all kept their jobs. They moved to Idaho and they continued to work remotely from from Salesforce back in San Francisco. They were allowed to to work remotely. So it was it was a matter of now you are able to choose anywhere in the country that you can live and you can work remotely, keep your salary, keep your job. And you get to to choose where you live, um, and it's completely divorced from economics. That's what I'm saying. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Usually, you have to to find a place with the job, and you go for the economics. Here, it's the opposite because of COVID. We're talking about people that were living in California. They're sitting at home, wearing a mask on Zoom, working at Salesforce, thinking to themselves, "What am I doing? What the hell am I doing?" When I could just leave go to Idaho where I never have to wear a mask and I can keep my job and I have the freedom to do what I want with my body. I have the freedom to, to go to a store and, and shop without suffocating myself. Right. That's what's happening. I, I, I I agree with you. There's, I just want to say one thing. I, uh, there is a pushback to that. Some of us, we need to have some people in blue areas to push back. Otherwise, it's just going to get out of control. You know, I live in an area where it's blue. I know I'm going to get upvoted, but I still vote. I still share my views with uh, the people I'm around, just so we still have some counterbalance to what's going on. But I understand what you're saying. Right. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, Todd, because eventually eventually when everybody retreats to the fortresses uh, people you're you're going to have to fight at some point because the or the orcs are outside and they're coming um and, and you can only build a, <laughs> what's that mean that, that you can only <laughs> yeah and you can only you can only build your castle so big for so long until you actually have to meet the uh, the opposing 
uh, group on the outside. But my, what I was going to say with the, with the point, I understand what you're saying, Dave, I think, and I guess my evidence is anecdotal, but I, I mean, what I still hear is the, is the economic driver, right. And it is part and partial with the, with the values as well. Right. Because it's also, I'm getting squeezed out of my money, but also I don't like what I'm being squeezed for, which is value, which is value driven. But my point mm. is with the migration into Idaho, right? You have your conservative Californians maybe moving up into your neck of the woods. But what you're also having who are being driven out of California is your liberal Californians. They're probably moving to your Boise, right? Because I bet you, I, I would bet, I'll, Boise, I would yes. take, I would, yeah, but I would take yeah. this bet. I would take this bet, Dave, as your, as your neighborhood around you is getting redder. I, I guarantee you, Boise is getting bluer, dark bluer. That's correct. Blue, but because Boise, Boise is anomalous for for North. At least there's a distinction, and I I don't even know if I should say this out loud. I'm I'm I don't know if you. I'm three beers in. I'm drinking Irish Death tonight. By the way, it's a very very go. good beer. Uh, good stuff. I probably What's that? Iron, iron, ho- iron Horse, right? Uh, good question. I, yes, Iron Horse Brewery. That's correct. Yep. Good job. This is fantastic stuff. Uh, so I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to go ahead because I'm kind of sick and tired of the liberal media attacking me for the same old BS. Now let's give them something new to attack me for. Yeah. It is my <laughs> personal goal. It is my personal goal to have an amendment to the Idaho Constitution allowing for the state to split in two and to secede. We do not have the right to do that as the Idaho Constitution stands. I don't think that North Idaho has anything in common with Boise. If you look at the, the most recent primary elections, you'll see on, on the, uh, the, the voter records, North Idaho, in a landslide, voted for Janice McGeehan for governor, all five northern counties. And it was South Idaho, it was Ada County, it was Boise, it was Twin Falls, Pocatello, Sun Valley that all voted for Brad Little, who's essentially a Democrat. And my point is, I want to see North Idaho divorce itself from the South because there's no way that we're going to be able to self-actualize. There's no way that we're going to be able to fulfill the will of the people up here in North Idaho without cutting the dead weight that's down South. And so as it stands, we don't have the right, according to Idaho the Idaho state constitution to split the state. And yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to have that. We need to have that written in. I, I will say I've heard that before. That's been going on for about 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's a new or novel idea that I've had or anything. It's just, it's true. It's true. Go ahead, Neil. I, I was going to say, guy, that sounds like I, I was going to fire you up. That sounds like the Pennsylvania stuff that goes on every fucking time. The Pennsylvania <laughs> stuff is out, outrageous. Pennsylvania. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, here, here, I wind Gary up with the Pennsylvania stuff. Here, well, here, here, here's the thing with here's the only problem with secession and and the idea of secession. Let's no, back hold, up. I'm not. I'm not talking about the historical. I'm not going into the civil war. We're not having a civil war conversation here. But we're not recruiting troops here. We're not, I'm just not, saying. I'm not talking about secession yet. I mean, that's right. I, I look. I look. I, no, 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 no. North Idaho, South Idaho, two separate states. You know, the, we pro- get, we the, get... pro- the, the problem with that, Dave. Again, I want to be a counterpoint like Todd was before. 
the problem with that is then we're is you can't uh, not to get into like a really deep, deeply philosophical. No, the problem, <laughs> the problem with the secession thing is, is yes, it works in the moment for, for, for instance, your example with Northern Idaho and Southern Idaho, but you have to actually constrain secession at some point to uh, some level because what will happen is, is that anytime there is a major disagreement, right? People will just go like, you know what, we're, we're leaving. And, you know, in the you'll United succeed, States, you'll succeed yet again. You'll succeed again. And, and in the, yeah. in the United States, I think, so my personal opinion is I in the United States, with, you, I never broke up with a, with a woman. I, I succeeded. <laughs> if that's how you're gonna word it you know? yeah but i'm just listen, saying listen like, baby <laughs> listen it's not me it's it's you i'm, I'm seceding from this relation neil yes. is the, but neil is the comic relief tonight we'll <laughs> anyway, and all the shows about politics no no but but i'm saying like in the united states based on our strategic position on the globe you could probably get away with the small autonomous communities kind of breaking away and breaking away down to the to to like a local like a local community almost like greek city states you could probably get away with doing in the united states you know but i i just don't know in terms of like the polity if that would be the best politics now i will say i think something that should be at least pushed is a state level electoral college, right? Because then you could counterbalance the overarching weight of the popular vote in the cities with an electoral college type system that would be more of a protection of your rural areas, right? So that if you had, if you had to use more of like the electoral college system, right? Where the cities almost only got one vote as the city, right? Compared to one vote of the other counties or the counties only got one vote each, right? It doesn't matter that I don't know what county Boise, I I, I don't know what county, let me finish my point. Let me finish my my point, Neil, that let's, I'm just hypothetically Boise count, Boise, the city of Boise is is in Ada County, right? So Ada County only gets one Idaho electoral college vote and even though there's 8 million people that live in Boise, uh, that's it. You get one electoral college vote. And, and then the next county that only has 100 people, but it's all farmland, it's agricultural, it's, 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 a, it's a powerhouse of a generator, whether it's food or how economics many, how or whatever. In, how many you said lived in Boise? 800 million? <laughs> yeah, eight, I was just 8 million. But it's I'm just 228,000. 200, so a quarter million. Quarter of a million. God, but I'm just God. saying, I'm just saying what, what happens in every state is the cities basically hold the suburbs and the rural areas hostage. You can't outvote yes. them. You can't. Yes. So the only thing you could ever do is if you could get a Republican majority and pass a law would be an electoral style college. Because while I do agree with certain states, like you, maybe you should break California, you should do these other things. The, the only problem, again, with secession is, is where does it end? where an electoral college would be following the federal principles that the founding fathers had given, and it would just be better at the state level and it would protect communities. And I tell you what, if you put an electoral college in places like California and Washington state, you wouldn't even talk about breaking them up or even Idaho because 
you it would be red. I mean, if you look at the if you I think 33 states have either a Republican governor or and a Republican legislature. Right. So that tells you automatically that the country itself is conservative. Right. And, and an electoral college would even would even put a dent into the blue states. And that's my point. So go ahead. Have at it. You can tear it apart or make fun of it well, or whatever. But that's well, I'll, I'll say one thing here. Uh, quite frankly, there's a radio host here that says Jay Inslee, our governor, is the governor of Seattle. And that's hmm. a perfect way to say it. Because who's that? Jason Rance? I uh, believe so. I mean, Thanks. it may be Ari Hoffman, but I'm not sure. But um, oh, uh, that's a perfect Ari. way to say it. Because, quite frankly, the eastern part of the state is red. And yeah. when you get around outside of the Puget Sound area, um, mm-hmm. basically, it's red as well. But there's so many people that live in the Puget Sound area, they outvote the rest of the state. And, that's right. Uh, that's exactly. Right. And 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 anybody that's traveled in Washington knows. I mean, I had the I had I had a wonderful opportunity after this debacle when I was, you know, called a Nazi or whatever uh as a radio host, you know, for for, you know, giving people a fair shot on the radio. Um I I got a job driving truck making deliveries uh, all across the country and I loved the the Pacific Northwest route. Um that's that's how I met my wife. Um, and I got to drive through almost every single town in Washington from east to west, north to south. And it is so true. Like as soon as you hit those Cascade Mountains and you, you, you descend into that Seattle area, it's hell. <laughs> it sucks. But everything else, I mean, Ellensburg, um, I'm trying to think of Leavenworth, Cooley, um, yeah, Chilewa, um, even Kennewick isn't that bad. Um, and, and it's, it's really interesting to see, um, like firsthand, if you, if anybody ever has the, the ch- there's nothing better than being able to, to just travel the country and meet random people and, and see where they're coming from and talk with them and find out what their, what their, uh, their concerns are and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Well, that, I mean, that's exactly true. I and mean, there's really so many more people that are much more moderate than you think, uh, outside of the Butte Sound area. It's well, and not only that, there's there's a lot of people like my family up until I want to say my dad's generation, my whole family was Democrat, you know, Philadelphia Democrats. And it was because Catholics used to be Democrat and the Democrats used to stand up for working, working men and women or mostly working men. Right. Family wages, the ability for a man to hold the job and then the woman can stay at home and you're not starving to death. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people still think that that's what the Democrat Party is. It's not, but they don't know. They just they don't care enough. You know, there's still a lot of people up here in in North Idaho and and actually running for governor as a Democrat. A lot of them reached out to me and I was able to talk with them. And it's these conservative Democrats that are like just completely oblivious. They never watch the news. They don't own televisions. They live off in the woods in the middle of nowhere. They moved up here in the 70s and they just haven't watched television since. And they don't know what the Democrat Party's become. You see what how I mean? Could, how could they possibly think that we can afford groceries? <laughs> and, gas, and gas. And gas. Well, you know hey, I mean? like, hey, I listen, you talk- but I really, I really love Neil's point there. Uh, yeah, they're I disconnected the from real uh, issues that are affecting the American people. I mean, really. Yeah. 
Hey, the Republicans are too. I mean, yeah, we the have, Republicans are just as bad. Well, that's the worst part of it, though. That's the worst part of it. Is the fucking yeah, Republican the Republicans part. had a chance up here this past year. In Idaho, we have something called the grocery tax, where you're actually taxing your food. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And we've got it. We had we had several chances to repeal the grocery tax, and nobody did because they're all weak, you know, rhinos that are all under the thumb yeah. of these giant international corporations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean, anyway, well, you see, well, I, I mean, even even at the national level, too, I mean, people's gas are going through the roof and they're giving billions and billions of dollars to, to Ukraine. Um, oh, you know, you've you got, got billion. Yeah, you've got, uh, you know, people, again, can't put gas, food, no baby formula on the shelves. Mitch McConnell wants to take everybody, do red flag laws, take everybody's. Didn't they fix the baby formula thing? No. Really? If you use a baby formula, you shouldn't. You should definitely go natural. It's way better. They flew in. They flew in baby formula into our country like we're a third third world country. Fly it in. Yeah. By the way, happy Father's Day. I don't know if any of you guys have kids running around. Yes. But happy Father's Day. We should have started you. that. Happy Father's Day. Yes. Well. Happy Father's Day to you as well. And happy uh, Happy Juneteenth, just in case you're black. And thank you for uh, you're recognizing the holiday. It's a fake holiday, <laughs> just like Ukraine is a fake country, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, the- Ukraine thing, I would disagree with, but that's okay. Yeah, I I just say things. <laughs> the 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 the, uh, the June yeah the Juneteenth thing I I it's um easy Gary <laughs> pump the brakes pump the brakes Gary Let's okay no uh, <laughs> yeah. this is for our this is for our area of disagreement starts you know so we can, I I do. Yeah. You know, well, no, I, I, I just think I just think that you no, 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 they, no, no, they, no, no, no. We can disagree. No, it's OK. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm going to say, like, I think I think the, the Juneteenth thing really has nothing to do with with please, with please black please. Americans. Anyway, it really has nothing. It has nothing to do with it in the sense of what they say it's going to do. Right. It's it's not it, it's it's a. I don't want to get you deplatformed here, okay? <laughs> well, it's 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 too no, you know, it's too late. Uh, but I mean, I, it has nothing. It has nothing to do with that because it's not a, it's not an honest. It's not even an honest thing to help. Like, like, what does it really do? Again, it's another. It's another piecemeal throwaway thing, right? It's so all these wealthy white liberals can go sit on their yacht for a day and collect a That's paycheck. Right. It has That's nothing right. to do. It has nothing to do with 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 like black people in in the inner city like that like this is some sort of holiday right it's just another it's just another that's day right. for white liberals to pat themselves on the back it has nothing to do with and that's and and that's the and that's the point i mean you're not how, how, so so you have a federal holiday so how, okay now that now that's that's what that's lifted what that because we did this it lifted a million black people out of poverty right that that's what that means right because it's it's total nonsense. It's it's total nonsense. And this who's idea my, that it who's means my something. Girlfriend? My girlfriend? AOC. No, 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 no. The thing of it is, is like we we can always look back, but it's not gonna change anything what happened in the past. We've got to look forward and um, to what we can do now, and quite frankly, um, 
Well, Todd, Dude, I find I that everybody. Look, I think I'm, I can ease tensions here, like really quickly. I think everybody on this podcast can agree that slavery is a bad idea, right? Well, I, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, are you are you are you talking? Yeah. Are you are you talking in the classical sense? Are we talking about the Roman Republic? Are we? You know, I'm mean, talking about. We... I'm talking about in America. I'm talking uh, yes, about cha- in America. Chattel. <laughs> it was a bad idea. It was chattel, a bad idea. Chattel, chattel, chattel slavery is obviously absolutely abhorrent. That doesn't even the fact. Look, I, I don't, I even don't know what that is. I don't think. I, um, that. I don't think uh, the fact that we even have to sit here and grasp at straws and say that kind of stuff is ridiculous anyway. So my second point is, is I find it very interesting as an American Indian, Todd, that you just want to move on into the future because it yeah. was the Indians who were the last to give up their slaves in the first place. A lot of people don't know that at the end of the Civil War, when slavery was abolished in the South, Lincoln upheld it in the North. Not many people know about that. And that's one of the reasons why I think that this whole Juneteenth thing is a sham because you know, the whole the God. whole idea of the Civil War, the whole idea that it was about slavery God. when the Union Army, when 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 Lincoln upheld it in the north, man, oof, it just it doesn't follow. It doesn't. And, and nobody has the balls to say it. But I said it. I will say this. You, you don't know this, but I'm a Native American among both sides of my family. And I'm God. mad we don't have enough holidays for native americans yeah let's go let's get iowa out there let's get all the i like the 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 native holidays the american indian uh holidays yeah the the american indians were predominantly catholic it's true well chief Chief seattle that's correct and father desmet you had the the jesuits that came through you had uh what's that place Uh, up in don't use the j word no j word on the show Uh, I'm talking about the old Jesuits, not the new Father Martin Jesuits, right? But the, uh, old, the old Jesuits were just as bad. Well, I'm not even going to go there. I won't go there. Uh, we'll save that for another time. We'll save okay. that for another time. Another yeah, future I mean, episode. We can we can go. I mean, I know that we were talking earlier too about uh, you know where I live here in Idaho. We had this big craziness going on last weekend. Yes, with, let's uh, get into that. Let's get this good segue. Let's get into that. Let's you, get off. You the, tell me what you know because it's the media the way that it has distorted everything right i don't even know what other people know so you know i'm not i'm not aware of of what actually made it out of idaho and and what penetrated into the rest of the the country you know some people so so tell me what you know and i'll fill in the gaps all right so from what i understood was that there was going to be this big trans event they were having like a concert or something and immediately even on their on their posters that they were putting out they had like choose your words I, carefully here guys oh shut up neil um <laughs> they they were uh they were gonna uh, they were they were they had on the posters like already sexualization stuff and they had like children they had like a like 13 and under could attend some of this stuff and, and then they went and, and they changed the poster, but they still said they were going to have the event. Of course, it had all these corporate sponsors and all this other stuff. And so they had the event. And then, of course, right before the event happened, without even anything going on, it was like, 
Uh, there's going to be a, a massive army of people that are going to show up and like attack all these people. And so you have like everyone on high alert. And then I guess the day of there was like 25 Patriot front guys got arrested. Like they were all in a U-Haul truck and they got arrested and then the event happened. And then that was, that was it. Like nothing, nothing happened, but the Patriot front guys. And then I'm not really sure. I think the jury's still out. If the Patriot front guys are either like full-time feds or if they're really like good meaning people that are just doing this weird kind of thing or whatever. I, I don't know, but I, I still, I don't know. Okay. But that's perfect. what, that's just, that's what I know of the story. So that's what perfect. I know. So I think there's plenty of things for me to hem myself in and get myself in more trouble. So this is good. great. This is <laughs> this great, is great, great show to be on. Right. So, um, so, you know, North Idaho is over 75% of the community here is Christian overwhelmingly conservative Republican, right? And the problem here is that a group called the Human Rights Education Initiative, which was started by a town councilor, which is uh, the treasurer of which is the, the homosexual publisher of our local newspapers, they have for the past years held something called Pride in the Park, where they bus in a bunch of drag queens and homosexuals from outside the area. There are not that many of them here in North Idaho. Believe me. Oh, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know why they would want to live here. And yeah. so they bust these people in. They have a big show about it. And so this year, what happened is a local group called the Panhandle Patriots, which is a riding club. Um, I won't say that they're a biker gang. They're not really a gang. They're a bunch of really nice people. They do a lot of work with the 4-H club. They do a lot of outreach to disaffected youth, trying to keep kids off of drugs, trying to keep uh, streets safe. Um, you know, they're well, well-meaning people, uh, patriotic people. A lot of them are veterans as well. And so, what happened was, um, I guess you could say that this all even goes back to the riots, the George Floyd riots of 2020, when there were images and videos that were coming out of Coeur d'Alene of people that were armed to the teeth with ARs and guns marching up and down Sherman Avenue, which is essentially Main Street, because there was the threat of Antifa and Black Lives Matter activists coming to the area and causing a riot. And so the people of our community stepped up. They peacefully bared their arms and patrolled the streets and made sure that there was no disruption, that there was no disturbances, that there was no riots, and that none of the businesses were uh, were were you know uh, harmed uh, by you know bricks through the windows or looting or whatever, right? And so that was dubbed Gun Delane, right? There's Car Delane. We live in Coeur Delane. That's the name of the area, Coeur Delane. And so Gun Delane was kind of a play on the words. And so that happened in 2020. In 2021, there was the first anniversary of Gun Delane, where the Panhandle Patriots Riding Club. Uh, organized a bunch of speakers they uh you know you would go into town and if you were carrying a gun if you were open carrying you would be given a little uh, wristband and you could go to the businesses on main street and receive a 15 percent discount on your purchases it was a very very nice little thing you know you could come out with your family you know you got your little gun uh on 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 your side or whatever you get a little wristband and then you could go out and get 15 percent off at the sushi place downtown or whatever it was a really nice family-friendly 
family-oriented type deal. And so then this year, the point is that the Panhandle Patriots Riding Club took out a permit for the third annual Gundalane, and the Human Rights Education Initiative Institute, they took out a permit on the exact same day to have Pride in the Park and a, quote, family-friendly drag show uh, for kids, essentially. There were other vendors. It was sponsored by all the local banks. It was sponsored by two of the city councilors. It was sponsored by all kinds of these liberal nonprofit organizations here in North Idaho. And what happened was this hothead, uh, I forget his name, but this hothead from this riding club got up on stage and said that they were going to go head to head with the LGBT people, right? They said they were going to go head to head with guns and shit. And the media obviously flipped out about it. They flipped out. Uh, you know, look, this this biker gang is is threatening gay kids. Ah, the humanity, right? And so the Panhandle Patriot Riding Club dialed back the rhetoric. They rebranded the whole event. It was no longer called Gundalane. They were calling it North Idaho Day of Prayer. And the whole point was to de-escalate the situation because everybody knew the what was going on in the national media, this bull, bull crap uh, threat of domestic terrorism and all that nonsense is not real, but the media wants it to be real because they want to institute red flag laws and stuff like this, take away people's guns. So the Panhandle Patriots back off, and while they did that, the Human Rights Education Initiative doubled down, accepting a sponsorship for the event by the Satanic Temple of Idaho who was giving money and was going to run a booth at the Pride in the Park event where they would be performing unbaptisms, where they would be seemingly unbaptizing people, making them non-Christian. So um, this, this got blown up in the community. Attention was drawn to this abomination, frankly, that was happening. Something that goes against, like I said, the 75% majority Christian community where we do not believe in Satanism or Wiccanism or paganism or any of this BS. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in God and his law. We don't believe in having groomers and pedophiles dressing up in drag and shaking their implanted boobs at six-year-olds. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And so it blew up in the media. And everybody started talking about it nationwide, right? There was a, a local group of young Catholics that were very zealous. They wanted to have a rosary rally. They wanted to march right through the gay pride event. And I said, hell no, you cannot do that. We're not one head to head with these people. We can pray, okay? We can get together in the park and pray. And we did. And it was a good event. And as soon as the prayer in the park thing kind of started to subside, I got a phone call from my wife who was leaving. She had come and joined us to pray the rosary and the litany of the sacred heart and all that. And she's driving home and she says, Dave, there's a U-Haul truck on, on the side of the road and a bunch of people that are all kneeling on the ground being arrested right now. And I said, uh, well, what are they wearing? And she's like, oh, blue shirts and khakis. And I'm like, 
okay, so Patriot Front's here, <laughs> you know? And it, it's really incredible. Um, nobody knew that these guys were coming, uh, in our community anyway, um, at least the people that I know. No one knew that these guys were going to show up. And what happened is after they showed up, instead of the media talking about the fact that Satanists were getting together drag performers and nonprofits, right? In, instead of it being about that, corrupting children in, in open air, in public, corrupting their morals, now it's about a you know, quote-unquote white supremacist group that comes to town, and all you can find is these articles about Patriot Front getting arrested. You don't hear about the Rosary Rally that happened successfully with no violence and no confrontation. You don't hear about what Matt Shea and Todd Angle did, where they were uh, going around praying with their Protestant groups in front of the Coeur d'Alene Press, in front of the library, in front of the gay pride event itself with absolutely no confrontation, with no violence. And you don't hear about the panhandled patriots day of prayer that they put on, which again went, went on without any violence and without any confrontation. It was all about this patriot front group that had just showed up out of nowhere. And so, um, you know, I, I think after reviewing all of the evidence, uh, Patriot Front uh, has released a video showing the moments leading up to their arrest. They were constantly telling their people to be nonviolent. They were telling their people to be cool, to not to mind their P's and Q's is the actual quote. Mind your P's and Q's. There's not going to be any time for physical confrontation. This isn't the time for it. Quote, our opposition is weak-willed. And they'll be heckling at best, unquote, is what they were saying. And so I don't think they're feds. Um, I don't think that there's any evidence that they're feds. Is it possible that there are federal informants in their group? I mean, look at any right-wing group. Any right-wing group with a hierarchy like that is going to have some sort of an infiltrator, some sort of an informant. That's true. But I think these kids, when you read their individual stories, for example, there's one from Salt Lake City. Um, I think it was Salt Lake City, at least, or maybe just Utah. He grew up in a family, and then the family got divorced. The father left the mother, and then it turned out that the father came out as gay. What does that do to a young man, to, the, to them psychologically speaking? What, what does that do? It's got to break you. I mean, I feel so bad for this guy. And so eventually, he joins Patriot Front. He wants to do something. He doesn't, you know, I, I'm not speaking for him. I don't know. But I'm assuming that he looked at his life and what had happened to him and that it messed him up so much that he wanted to make sure that this never happened to anybody else ever again. That's, I understand that. So the question is about tactics. And the question is about whether or not it's advisable to go, quote unquote, head to head with a protected class of people that actually has more constitutional rights than you do as a straight, white, cisgender, male, Republican. You see what I mean? You are not afforded the same rights that a black, trans, women of color, they, them have, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm upset with them. I wish they had never come. They shouldn't have ever come here. And they need to never come here ever again. No outside group, including the Satanists, including the groomers and the homosexuals. They, they, they have no place here in North Idaho. And neither does outside groups like Patriot Front. 
because what happened is that the media is no longer talking about the fact that a a drag queen may have allegedly revealed his genitals to the children that he was performing for. There is currently an investigation going on that was announced by our local sheriff where they are looking into whether or not a drag performer exposed his genitals to children and no one's talking about it. Instead, they're all talking about Patriot Front and instead they're all talking about all of this other you know, nonsense that, that happened up here. Our, our town, our beautiful town in Coeur d'Alene, and if anyone's ever been here, that you know how beautiful it is. It was turned into a freak show by out-of-state drag performers and out-of-state, um, you know, Patriot Front people that came here. So, I mean, I, they're not feds. They're not fed boys. But their tactics, they, they're not, they don't work, at least here. Yeah, and um, not 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 to not to speak for you, but I think your message is pretty clear, right? Which is the community you're the community that you live in will handle whatever community issues arise within the community, and that there whether you're on left, right, or center, that the outside yeah. in, influence is unwanted and unneeded. Well, and this is and isn't this the whole story of America? Isn't this the whole story of America with gentrification, with white flight, with forced diversity? Right. Isn't the whole point of like breaking up communities that have some sort of solidarity with one another and then breaking that unity, breaking that homogeneity and then weaponizing it against the people that live there until the point where you live in a place I where mean, you have I mean, absolutely that would, no. That would be worst process. case scenario. Right. Well. But you see what I'm saying is yeah. th maybe these Patriot Front guys are, are you know, maybe they have good intentions. You know, but instead of focusing it the way that they did, coming to defend something that isn't theirs, coming to defend a town that they don't live in, maybe they should worry about the towns that they do live in. Maybe they should look into running for central committee where they live or Democrat central committee or, or just doing anything that they can to salvage their neighbors, their friends, their families, where they live, because that's where you can be most effective. You're never going to have a group like this just like march into a community and then everybody hail them as like the savior. It's not going to happen. And so I, my, my message is, is to, to get involved locally and to do things that have meaning locally and to get to know the lawmakers, get to know your legislature, get to know your sheriffs, get to know the people that are in charge of town. And um, there is currently in, in here in North Idaho, there is, there is a big backlash over what's happened. There's a big backlash because while the Coeur d'Alene Police Department was arresting not only Patriot Front, but they were arresting local preachers. They were arresting yeah, I saw a picture. Preachers. There was like a guy, he was like holding a, he had like a blue shirt on. It was like, no, yeah. no, no Jesus, peace. no peace, no Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I saw that picture, yeah. Yeah, they, it was, there's a community backlash right now against, I believe it's, is it Sergeant or Captain White? He's the head of the Coeur d'Alene Police Department. There was, when Black Lives Matter did come in 2020 to North Idaho, they were using loudspeakers and bullhorns in the park. They were. And that's technically illegal. And that's why they were arresting that street preacher, because he's using a voice amplification device. And the BLM people were using PA systems and bullhorns, and no one bothered them came in in buses and nobody stopped them before they came here 
but they they arrested the Patriot Front. They arrested the street preachers. So who are the Coeur d'Alene police defending? Are they defending the community? Are they defending Christianity? Are they defending our values and our morals? Well, I, are, are I they think, defending? No, I, I not to not to cut you off there, but I, I think the one thing that needs to be said, and you, you kind of were were talking about it before about you know the Patriot Front guys, but look, there's there's two things, and re- regardless of who you are, if you if you are right leaning in any way, shape, or form. And at this point, right leaning is like someone who likes to walk out their front door, get into their car, go to work, and come home. That's right. Um, be- walk out the door and go to the right. Um, and <laughs> if if you are a, a right leaning, um, you know, person, there's two things you have to realize now. For number one, peel the stupid back the blue sticker off the back of your car. These these guys do not care about you. They don't care they care about their 30-year pension and their benefits and the money that they can that the money they can make because a lot of them and maybe not small town america but any mid-sized city these guys are making close to six figures right they do not care about the average that's a lot of money it is sure is they do not care about you they will they the best thing that they love every day is pulling over john q public and giving him citations for four or five hundred dollars because they know you got you're going to pay for it because you got a mortgage and you got kids and you got bills you got to pay and they know you'll pay it so they they love it they're not here to protect you they're not here to help you so this idea like back to blue and blue line sticker on your car i look at people like that and they're idiots especially if they're on the right because if the police have shown anything especially in the last four years some of us have known this to go on for longer let me finish my point let me finish my point um you know the if that they um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought um I don't want you to get too excited. Um, so the the one thing the one thing that I'm saying is like that the the police have shown, especially with the the riots during COVID, during all these things, that they are not for the citizen. And this idea that all of a sudden the police are going to just rise up one day and do the right thing—it's never happened in any society ever. Okay, so that that's that that that's the first point. You know, the second point is. Is that anytime you have a group and you have and it's right leaning, just be prepared to know that one of those people in your numbers, if not a, 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 a CI or some sort of informant or some sort of whatever, they are working uh, for the feds. I mean, you have you talked about Dan Crenshaw earlier in the show. And between him and Adam Kinzinger and the rest of them, none of them will answer like what Ray Epps's role was during January 6th and all that stuff. Right. And I'm just using this as an example. I'm going to get into January 6th. But the point is, is that you you have um, the Federal Bureau of Investigation not even answering a direct question of is was there any federal informants or federal agents involved in that day? You have the Governor Whitmer. Uh, plot where it was like basically two guys there was a gang of eight it was two guys and six of them either were fed informants or or federal agents themselves so you know the you have to be very careful 
you know, because I, I wouldn't, you know, they said that a woman called the police and that's how the police were able to pull over the, um, Patriot uh, front. yeah, the Patriot front, uh, I've heard, van I've heard or whatever reports of her complete conflicting reports that it was either a, a woman or a man. I heard a report that it was, that there was a man that actually accosted them in the parking lot as they were loading up. Um, and then I also heard that it could have been a woman. Um, but I think that it was somebody at their hotel that called the police That's on them. And I've been, I've been receiving death threats for a week because everybody's saying that I'm the one that snitched them out. And I didn't, I had no clue. I was busy praying in the park. And then we all went to the local German brewery and, you know, all, all the people that prayed with us, we went out for beer and schnitzel afterwards. So like my wife, called why would me they think you gotta be kidding me. Why would they think you would snitch them out? Why? I, why, I don't understand how they, that connection would be made because you're more, because there's someone in the community that usually organizes events. Right. Right. Uh, it's because I'm, it's because I'm successful and it's because I'm Catholic and I'm Christian. And a lot of these people don't like Christianity. A lot of these people don't like the fact that I've been successful and they don't like the fact that I've been honest about who I am and that I've been accepted. And um, so they want to destroy me. And that's, you know, OK. Even the people can... on the Patriot front side. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not not Patriot Front themselves, I don't think. But no, I no, think. I under I understand that. I understand that. I hope that's clear. People, people in the very like, you know, I don't even want to say names online. I I can't because I can't. I don't want to go through that again. You no, know no, that's I mean? okay. That's okay. My wife want to leave the house for like four days. You know what I mean? But there are certain online personalities that that love feeding into drama and feeding into conflict, and they just like throwing shit out there and seeing what sticks, and um. You know, it is what it is, uh, but it wasn't me. And, uh, you know, it, it's really incredible the way that the police, they're not even releasing. Uh, I did a FOIA request to try and get the audio of the phone call and they won't release it for fear that the person who made the call will, will be doxxed and face retribution. Meanwhile, I'm getting death threats and they don't give a shit. You know, they're OK, but they don't. How, mind how would you? So that leads me to believe, I mean, does this person have a distinct voice that you would be able to pinpoint their voice? I, I mean, at least have a distinct voice. And if you heard the phone call and then you heard my voice, you would know it wasn't me. Right. You know, but, yeah, you know. no, that's no, but I'm saying for them to worry about this other part, it's like, what do you, what do you, you know, if you sound like a, you know, a regular person, unless it's somebody that you would, uh, the problem is, is that if you're saying it was a call from the hotel again, could have been somebody in their group. So that's why they don't want to release the call because that's how that person would get doxxed. Cause you'd go, boy, that sounds a lot like John. You know, John was with us that day. Well, why that sounds a lot like John. Why would John, you know, John goes and call. Okay. Now we know that John is, you know, and again, I'm making us, this is clear assumptions, right? I'm just, yeah, I'm just shooting. I'm just spitball, but I'm saying like, but I'm saying if it was John, if again, to you, if it was John Q public, making a call from a, you know, from their cell phone, how the hell would you know who they were? Right. You know, how would yeah. you know? Unless it was like a distinct voice, you know, or distinct voice, like a radio host, right. Or somebody famous, right. You wouldn't know yeah. who it was. And even then half the time, you don't know it's a muffled record, but anyway, yeah. So that leads me to believe that there's, yeah, to your point, there's something, something going on with that, but um, yeah, a yeah, very interesting story like because, because again, this needs to be a lesson for the for people on the right that when you go into the to to, to counter these things, you have to be extremely strategic.
because be if, the point is that by giving them this boogeyman of oh god these patriot front or not patriot front the panhandle patriot group the riding club the bikers right by by them saying that they're going to stand head to head then that bolsters and emboldens the lgbt side and more people come out to support them and it makes their event bigger and the point is that we want to starve them of attention that's that's the biggest win that anybody could do is to starve these people of attention they are sick perverted weirdos that want attention they want glorification they want to be in the media and the best thing that you could possibly do is to not give it to them find out who is supporting them find out the banks find out the shopping markets that are sponsoring these events stop shopping there write them letters call them tell them that you are very upset with the fact that they're supporting this anti-christian uh, degenerate ideology, right? Um, go after the sponsors, go after, you know, whoever, but you cannot go head to head because by going head to head, like you, like you can see very clearly in this instance, the entire media went from freaking out that Satanists were openly endorsing and collaborating with a child drag show performance all the way to, you know, white supremacists were about to terrorize them. You see what I mean? And one of these yeah. narratives is obviously good for us. One of them is bad. And so when you're planning activism, if you're out there, and of course, I'm not a leader of any group. I'm not involved in any groups, right? I mean, I'm a board member of a nonprofit. I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm involved in a lot of different things, but I'm not a member of any of these kinds of groups for a reason. And it's, it's because of this. It's because that you cannot give them this boogeyman that they're looked for. So if you've got a group that's bringing in uh, child drag shows to your community, find out who's involved, who's their treasurer, who's their, their founder, who's their CEO or COO or the chair of their board. Find out what they're doing. Expose it. Put it out there in the media. Because if people understand who's doing it and why they're doing it, it's going to become incredibly unpopular very quickly. But if you try to go head to head with it, you're going to get steamrolled. You're going to get crushed. So that's not an effective form of activism. See what I'm yeah, saying? I think. Yeah. And I think you see, to your point, what is really effective, right, is when uh, those realtor agents or whoever were slipping uh, the leads right. to about Patrice Cullors buying all those houses with Black Lives Matter money. She's she's yeah. building herself a real estate empire. Meanwhile, yeah. the people that supposedly she's funding aren't seeing any of that money. And now she's a pariah in her own group. Um, yeah. And, and that's to your, to your point, right. Is, is you, as they are using information to war against us. And the other thing is, is know that the, that the, that the deck is already stacked against you. Like you can't, you're not like the Patrice colors thing, I think was actually broken by a British newspaper. It wasn't even an American paper. <laughs> and then it was the, the typical conservative, um, you know, uh, media groups that picked up on it and, and pushed a story. You have to realize you're not going to, if you have information like that, right? I mean, basically the sat sat Satanists and the transgender LGBT, whatever that thing was, getting together doing this, right? You're not going to take that to ABC News. ABC News is going to bury that, right? I mean, you're, you're going to have to take it to that alternate media. You're going to have to take it to social media. You're going to have to use that. And that's, 
I mean, again, that builds into deeper why they want to put the clamps on social media, right? They don't want that stuff. They yeah, don't well, want you to be, the be why they're calling libs of TikTok a stochastic terrorist for right. just publicizing something that's actually happening. You're quote unquote raising the probability of a terrorist attack, which is total baloney. You know what I mean? It's total baloney. It's just another way of infringing on First Amendment rights. It's another way of infringing on saying, hey, I don't like this thing happening in my community. And then if something bad happens because you said that, then all of a sudden you're held liable. It's just like it's like suing gun manufacturers because a psychopath decided to take a gun and shoot up a supermarket. It's ridiculous. Oh, I got ridiculous. I got one better for you. Uh, it didn't take very long for the news cycle to move on from the guy who showed up to Judge Kavanaugh's house with a gun and a knife. It barely okay, people, up here. It barely people don't even people don't even know that guy's name. And, right. and so the, again, the point is, is you think the media is going to carry water for you. you. Again, you have to use those alternate channels. And again, if it wasn't those alternate channels that are kind of keeping that story alive, although I'd say even the, unfortunately, even the conservative media has moved on, but it's like, if, if, if someone showed, so, and again, it, it, we can do the hit, the hypocritical thing all the time, but it's just, the irony is, is like, if somebody had shown up to Sotomayor's house with a gun and a knife, right? More, more than likely, they still would be an unhinged lefty, right? But the, but the story they'd float first is that it's a conservative or something to show up to, right. to, to threaten, even though later on, right, the facts come out. I mean, it's the same thing with the, with the congressional shooter, right? Guy was a big yeah. Bernie su supporter. Nobody hounds Bernie to, nope. to, to, um, you know, talk bad about terror, domestic terrorism or something like that. He should have to answer for that every day. Um, mm. But he doesn't. And and so, yeah, I mean, I think these are all I think a, a story like this is a good reminder is number one is know who your friends are and know who are not your friends. And number one, your friends are not the media and they're not the state authorities, nope. meaning the police. That's they are not your friends. Um, yep. And they do not yep. care about it. I mean, it was the same. It was the same thing I saw today. Um I guess they were having like a march. Uh, uh, I think Eric Adams was having in New York City a Juneteenth march, and it had to do. I think people were talking about police brutality, but who's escorting them through the city? The cops, yep. right? So it's like you're going to talk about how bad the cops are, and they're the cop, and the cops are all smiling, right? Because they're making overtime, right? They're they're making they're making their money, they're getting their pension. They don't care. they're laughing all the way to the bank. They don't care because they know the state needs them. At the end of the day, they know the state needs them, and they know every once in a while one of them will get sacrificed, right? It was the same thing, um, you know, when you see all these criminal cases come out when, when cops use uh, force, right? Some wrongly, some correctly, but either way, you're going to be a sacrifice. But you know what? Every, every other cop probably just shrugs their shoulders and goes, that's not going to happen to me. So, um, you know, I, I just find that to be – I find I I I, uh, I think that's a, a really good um, you know story, Dave. And hopefully you're safe and your family's safe. Hopefully uh, the the police do their job and actually go after people making death threats. You know, you should tell them that you're a democratic lawmaker. Maybe they'll move on that. Um, you know, <laughs> Maybe. So I'm a Republican you know? again, so I don't have the. Uh, oh I don't well, then the, yeah, the then you're on your own. You know? Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. But hey, look, I want to say. Gary, thank you so much for having me and Todd and Neil for, for sitting and listening to me yammer on for like two hours now. But 
No, it's I gotta go. I've got to use the restroom, and I've <laughs> gotta go kiss my baby before she goes to bed, and uh, say hi to my wife on this Father's Day. So thank you for having me on, and um, maybe we can do this again uh, in the future when there's maybe some more positive news coming out of North Idaho. You know, Dave, we'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much for your time. I think it's a, a perfect mark here, and. Uh, Again, thank you so much. Thanks for showing, sharing the details, and we love the story. And, yes, hopefully we can encourage more people to get involved at the local, local, local level. So That's thank you so much at. for your That's time. Thank you very much for having me. God bless everyone. Have a good night. All right. Take care. Thank you. Garrett, do you want to lead us out? Sure. Well, I just want to say thank you for everyone listening. I thought that was a really quick two hours. Great show. Um, Dave was a wonderful guest. Uh, I'm glad everyone could, uh, could, uh, be with us. And, uh, what, what'd you think Todd overall? Good, good little chat. It was, I didn't really know the details of, uh, the last, uh, the event, um, of the last portion, but it was good to hear from a local. So. Absolutely. Always got to go to the source. Um, well, with that being said, thank you for listening to uh, Review the News, where we uh, make the news make sense to you. You can find us at Review News 1000 at, on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, also Google Review News 1000 and uh, find us on Spotify as well as Patreon and uh, our Facebook page. So Review News 1000. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll hope you join us uh, next episode.